out of the heart the mouth speaks, and out of the heart the writer writes. So welcome to another book analysis from Flying Faith Talks, Biblical Counseling for the Creative Mind. Today's episode was originally recorded on November 2nd. This is episode number 27, and our episode title today is How Not to Study the Bible. On this show, we have been spending a lot of time talking about the scriptures, don't we? In fact, it is like one of the number one things that we talk about when we're talking about the biblical method of creativity and what biblical counseling for the creative mind looks like, right? I mean, every week, you know, you guys come in and you listen to me talk about the scriptures. And in the past several weeks, I've been emphasizing getting into the scriptures, right? But something that some people don't realize, and even as well-intentioned as they may be in doing it, there is actually a right and a wrong way to go into the scriptures. I mean, if you want a really good example for that, you know, just consider Jesus when he spoke to Nicodemus in John 3:10 when he looked to Nicodemus and he basically said, "You're a teacher of the Israelites and yet you do not understand these things." And remember guys, uh, Nicodemus, he was one of the Pharisees. These guys study the law, they study the scriptures front to back, back to front, and yet they miss the point because going into scriptures isn't just about collecting facts it's also about heart work so to help me talk about this i actually have a very special guest that i am very jazzed about having on the show if you have been following my podcast and my blog for a little while you may have heard me talk about him before he's the te- one of the teaching pastors in my church and in fact if you remember the special i put on my blog which was an entire sermon uh, this is the gentleman who preached it, and uh, allow me to bring onto the show uh, my brother in Christ and a teacher and mentor I highly respect, Pastor Greg Birdwell. So um, uh, say hi, Pastor Greg. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a wonderful thing to be here. It's a wonderful thing having you here. So you heard me already kind of start things uh, into what today's topic is going to be because, you know, I can emphasize how much we need to get into the word, not just as creatives, but just in for our daily lives as Christians in the family of God. So, um, but we know that there's a wrong way to go about it. So, would you care to share about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think it, as I think about how to study the Bible, and then how you know the way that you framed it, how not to study the Bible. There there are probably three things that I would share with uh, with a typical believer. Mm-hmm things that we would want to avoid as we as we study the bible and one of them is is closely related to what you mentioned a second ago from from john 3 mm-hmm. and that is studying without christ as like the framework for understanding any given passage of scripture right. and the, the reason that i think that that christ should be at the center or that he should be influencing how we interpret the scriptures is because he said this himself. So, you know, Luke in Luke 24, Jesus has just been raised from the dead mm-hmm. and he is kind of incognito traveling along the road to Emmaus with, with a couple of people who have been following him. And they're distraught slash flabbergasted at what's happened. Mm-hmm. And, Jesus is talking with them, and 
he asks them basically, you know, so what, what has just happened? And they just can't believe that there's anybody there who doesn't know what's happened to Jerusalem. Well, he begins to explain to them that all the things that had happened in Jerusalem over the previous week, including the suffering of this, of this person and his death, and now an empty tomb, all of these things were things that had to happen because of what's written in their scriptures or, you know, what, what we would know as, as the Old Testament. Yes. And, and he, so he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now these guys, you know, they're, they're committed Jews, it seems like. And they would have been like, what are you, what are you talking about? We don't understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Or that we didn't believe all that the prophets have written. And his following question can clues us into what he means by that accusation. He said, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus believed that all the scriptures were about him. And so with these with these two guys on the road to Emmaus the day that he's raised from the dead. Yeah. He's having a conversation with them where he's pointing out to them in all these different parts of scripture, the things concerning himself. And so when I say that, that we should we should interpret the scriptures with Christ at the center, with, with him as kind of like a controlling paradigm for how we interpret, mm-hmm. we don't ever want to be in a position where we're like, we're looking at a, at a passage of scripture without a Christological trajectory. Yeah, I heard you mention that wording before. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I heard you use that wording before in our church, Christological. It took me a little bit to realize it was not crystal like crystal quartz. It was (laughs) Christological as in Christ. (laughs) Exactly, yes. Yeah, I should define my terms more often, I guess. Yeah, we, we want to have a Christological trajectory, meaning, especially reading the Old Testament, we want to be trying to, to place that passage in where, where it's found in the storyline from the promise of salvation in, in Genesis 3 to the fulfillment of salvation in Christ. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, like basically, well, let's think about the, the storyline of, of David. Yes. Um, is becoming a king. Mm-hmm. We're not going to study David as if he has nothing to do with that storyline. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna seek to place that story or understand it in the context of the of of everything that has been promised about Christ and fulfilled in Christ. Right. And so when we do that, you know, we're we're thinking, okay, promises have been made in the past, promise made in Genesis three that that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And then there's promise made in Genesis 12 to Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. Mm-hmm. That, that is kind of shrinking down. We get, we get these other other blessings like uh, Isaac blesses, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob blesses his sons. And in particular, he blesses Judah toward the end of, of Genesis, indicating that there's going to be this king that mm-hmm. comes from Judah. Mm-hmm. So all of these promises are are making their way toward this king that's supposed to come and make everything right. Mm-hmm. And and that is David. Da- David ends up, and, and this becomes clearer when we 
get to the, the, the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, David is like the conduit through which all these promises are going to be fulfilled because it's from David that Christ comes. Yes. So anytime I'm looking at David, I don't want to think, oh, David was just this great man and I want to learn as much as I can from the things that he did wrong or the things that he did right. But I want to be, I want to be thinking about what is this passage telling me about this, this uh, cascade of promises that have been made? Yeah. How is this story contributing to the fulfillment of all things in Christ, if that makes mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. It's like two layers. You know, it's like you can, it, yeah. it, like going just at what, learning from what David did and everything, that's just the first layer. But the bigger layer, the bigger picture is when we look at it Christologically, like you said. And uh, you listeners probably remember that a couple weeks ago when um, in the episode Return to the Lamppost, I even mentioned this, you know, where, you know, it's not enough just to um, look at the scriptures in bits and pieces. You have to look at the scriptures as a full, whole narrative. And what is the narrative about? It's about Christ, because even Jesus, when he spoke to the Pharisees again in another point in scripture, he basically said, Moses testified me about me. If you do not believe Moses, how are you going to believe what I say? You know, so, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and, and listeners, even though like sometimes you're like thinking, yeah, but my story is not directly about salvation. This artwork's not directly about salvation. Listen, our entire Christian lives is about salvation. It's about what he's done for us and what he's doing through us to reach others. So even if it's not direct, that story of grace comes out no at least it should come out no matter which way you slice it so and uh, you know what? i'm even going to have an episode eventually and i'm going to i'm planning to title this episode gospel centered and we're going to talk about that in another time mm, yeah yeah so a second a second thing that i think about when i think about pitfalls for bible study or things that you want to avoid would be studying with no respect for context mm -hmm. and I've, 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 talked, I've talked a little bit about context in that you know christ and his the promises pertaining to him the fulfillment that comes in him that provides like a theological context for any study that we do but when i when i talk about context in general i mean just making sure that we are understanding that any given verse any given chapter any given book mm -hmm. is being written with an assumption that we are familiar with everything around it. Yeah. So, for example, you, you know, you mentioned John three a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. So let's say we want to study John three sixteen. You know, this is one of the most yeah. well-known verses in the Bible. But we're we just decide we're going to drill down into that thing and squeeze every bit of goodness and truth out of it. Mm -hmm. But we're only going to look at that verse, so we're not going to look at any of the rest of John 3 or John or mm. the New Testament or the, the rest yeah. of the Bible. You cannot help but misunderstand it. Yeah. So, in, in fact, a lot of the mistakes that that I have heard about John 3.16 over the years could be corrected just by reading it carefully in the context of that one chapter. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a, a lot of people will appeal to John 3.16 as, uh, as, as an argument that anyone can be saved. That is, they have the, the ability to, to believe and be saved. Mm -hmm. so for God so loved the world, 
and he gave his only son that whoever believes well yeah <laughs> that that verse means uh that the, that verse is not making a statement about who is able to or who is able to initiate salvation it, it's it has nothing to do with setting a boundary or or eliminating a boundary for salvation mm. Wow. The way that we know that is because of the rest of John 3. So earlier in the chapter, Jesus is explaining that, that being born again is a, it's a function of the work of the Holy Spirit who initiates it. Yeah. And just like we, we can't tell the, where, where the wind is coming from or we can't control the wind. Yeah, exactly. So, so also, the new birth is, is a work of the Holy Spirit. So even without... Know, diagramming any sentences without looking at any other languages we can tell just based on the near context mm -hmm. what what the verse at least what it can't mean you know and so my counsel to anybody who wanting to study the Bible rightly mm -hmm. is to be a a voracious reader of the Bible reading it all the time yeah and and um, there's there's a bunch of ways to accomplish that because mm -hmm, I imagine some of my like, listeners might feel really intimidated by that because uh, I know that uh, you guys who are listening you guys already know I've I've kind of expressed myself as a very uh, geeky research loving person you know it's like I love going into the history and the context and going in as deep with my reading especially with scriptures as I can but I know that not everybody's like that so um, I, I imagine yeah. you're going to share um, some ideas or um, uh, guidances for people who either aren't big readers or they're intimidated by does this mean I have to become like some scholar theologian or some history nerd to get this <laughs> no not at all I mean anybody anybody that has the simple ability to read can be a good student of the word Amen. you don't have you don't have to you don't have to learn other languages you don't have to get out dictionaries and concordances the best way to become a better student of the word, in my view, mm -hmm. is to just read it over and over. Mm. Now, if you don't like to read, that's a little bit of a barrier. But you, you could listen to it all the time. But there's there's like no there's no substitute for just reading the Bible mm -hmm. and reading it a lot and in different ways. And by different ways, I mean like uh, you know most people I shouldn't say most people a lot of people. <laughs> We'll read uh, the Bible through in a in a year's time, mm -hmm. and that's that's a great thing to do. If you want to become a a better student of the Word and able to study the Word in its larger context, I would suggest if you've if you've never read the Bible in a year, do that. If you have read it in a year, then try to read it in six months. Try to read it every six months for two years or. You can even read it in three months. Now, some some people would think, "Man, that's insane." <laughs> if you read for about an hour a day, you can read the Bible in about three months, yeah. and you're you're basically you are learning the context for every passage in the Bible. And at that point, you're not, you know, we might not call that study, but it is going to prepare you to be a good interpreter because you will. Like when you come to a passage mm -hmm. like John three sixteen or, or or any other passage, you will you will have a much better idea of the possible right interpretations for a passage because you'll know 
whether and where other there are other passages that might contradict a given interpretation. Mm -hmm. So you you may be studying John John three or Romans five and considering well here are the possible things that this verse could mean or this passage could mean. If you've read the Bible over and over, then you've got some guardrails there. Yeah, you got to, some to thought. Tell you, well, yeah, like I know it can't mean this because because Deuteronomy twenty eight teaches yeah. this, you know. Yeah, and of so, course it completely rides on remembering that the whole of Scripture is 100% true. It is God's Word. Yeah. There's no taking from it, no adding to it, because especially if some people are like partially convinced that, oh, we can only believe in this part of the Bible and that part of the Bible and take us, like piecemeal it. No, we can't do that, because if you can't trust part of the Bible, you can't trust all of the Bible. And if you can't trust all the Bible, right. how do you know you have, you have saving grace? So the Bible has yeah. to be true in order for this faith to function. So, and yeah, I tell sure. you what, what you just said kind of happened to me yesterday. I mean, it happens to me several ways, but most prominently just yesterday, there was, uh, I was in a Bible study with um, other ladies and this one lady was asking a question because this is right after Jesus uh, healed the paralytic who kept trying to get into the pool, you know, to be healed, but um, no one would get him down there. And Jesus found him later after he healed him in the temple and he said, see, you are well, be, be careful not to sin lest something worse happen to you. And this other lady in the room, she was like questioning about that because she wondered, um, you know, does this mean that uh, Jesus keeps tally of your sin and everything? And, you know, if you do worse like this, does that mean he's just going to punish you more? Um, but tell you what, uh, a few weeks ago when you preached out of Hebrews 6 and you talked about the dangers of falling away from the faith and that it's impossible to be re-redeemed after you've been redeemed, that have touched the holy gift. That fired off in my brain, and actually I wrote that in my notes, so I just basically read to her Hebrews 6, uh, 4, and 6, and, uh, you know, it, that, that, that's exactly how, how it happened, <laughs> so. Yeah, and, you know, re reading reading the Bible like, cover to cover the way people tend to do, that, mm -hmm. that's just one way to do it. Um, you, you can read the Bible, there, there are chronological reading plans, you know, the, the Old Testament was not was not it is not laid out necessarily in chronological order mm -hmm, yeah. so there are chronological reading plans you know that's a different way to read it you can read read it in different translations that, that kind of give you a, a a better picture of of what's being said but then another way mm -hmm. of reading that i have found tremendously helpful over the years and in this is particularly helpful in the, New, in the New Testament, is reading a single book over and over and over. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to be a good student of the Bible, somebody who is aware of the context and, and wants to not contradict the Bible with their interpretations, I would say be reading through the Bible regularly, but then take a, a single book of the New Testament and read it every day for like three weeks or a month. Wow, yeah. So... So Ephesians, you know, six chapters, you can read that every day, and yeah, I, you will, by yeah. the end of three weeks or a month, you will know that book very well, and so if you're studying Ephesians, you will know in chapter one what, what he writes in chapter six, and it's just a great control for your interpretation. Yeah. And you can do the whole New Testament that way, you know, just... Um, over the course of a few years, you can read it over and over and over. Yeah. Well, I do think some people probably are more intimidated by Old Testament. 
because it, sure. it is a little bit, um, uh, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, just like in First Peter when it spoke about our faith is something that the prophets were looking into and they didn't realize this, but they were not serving them but you. You know, that's how First Peter wrote it. Because at that point, they were on that side of the resurrection, you know. They didn't know who Jesus was yet. And so lots of their writings, while they speak about Jesus, is not quite up front, you know. And I can also hear some people thinking, yeah, but how do I know if something's poetic, prophetic, or historic, you know. I can hear those going on right now. Sure, yeah. Yeah, th that's, that's a good question, too. And, and another thing to... Um this is not something I thought about until until you mentioned that. But <laughs> another another way to not study the Bible or, or a pitfall is studying different genres of scripture without respecting the differences in those genres. So mm, yeah. you know, you don't you don't want to read poetry like it's a historical narrative and you don't want to read a prophecy like it's an epistle, you yeah. know, that, that uses different kinds of language, just like um, those of you who write stories, you use different kinds of language when you write a story than mm -hmm. you do when you write a personal letter. Right. Or when you when you write a um, an email to a publisher or something, you're just using different kinds of language. And we want to respect the the authors of scripture and the Holy Spirit who inspired them by paying attention to the kind of scripture that it is so that we're expecting figurative language in poetry or in prophecy. And very straightforward literal language in the epistles right so, um, so and yeah, usually most of these and usually most of these uh, um, uh, different forms of writing in the scripture they're usually preceded at the front so that it's obvious to tell isn't that uh, true yeah sure yeah yeah and with the, with the, with an English translation a way to tell that that um, you're reading poetry and not prose or historical narrative is that most translations with poetry, they, they format it differently. So yeah. the the lines will either be centered or they'll be indented a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, those of you who are listening, if you've got, you've got a Bible in front of you right now, you can look at Exodus 14 and look at how that is formatted. And then just turn over and look at the beginning of Exodus 15 how that's formatted. Exodus 14 is narrative, and so it's mainly going to be, it's going to look like just a block of, of text. Exodus 15, the beginning of it, is is poetry. And so it's formatted differently. So you can tell just by looking at a lot of places what what, you're, what genre you're looking at. If you, if you could expect figurative language or more straightforward language. If you turn over to the Psalms, you're going to find that, that everything in the Psalms pretty much is formatted like poetry yeah. because that's what it is. You know? Yeah. So you don't, you, you really, it, it's very simple to, to be able to tell what you're looking at. Um, now there are places like in the gospels where um, you might find more figurative language when you weren't necessarily expecting it. So if you're in Matthew, the vast majority of Matthew is going to be formatted like, like prose, but then you get into chapters like 23, 24, and a, a lot of that, I, I can't remember if they're, if that's formatted differently, but it's going to be figurative language because it, it's apocalyptic literature. It's like right, it's prophetic literature within a, a gospel, you know. Yeah, it's like more prophetic, kind of like Revelation, I suppose. Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because Revelation is very much, um, uh, did you say apocalyptic or... 
Was that what you said? Right, right. Yeah, okay, I said it right. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apocalyptic literature is, it's like a subset of prophecy that deals particularly with the cataclysmic events of the last days. That's, yeah. That's how I would... Um, that's how I would define yeah, I think my dad said that the theological term for that study was eschatology, I think. Is that right? Yeah, so es eschatology means the study of the last things. Right, right, and that's like one of the hardest things. But, you know, so long as sure. we remember that the point of scriptures, even the apocalyptic part, is still centered on Christ, the important uh, thing that yeah. all Christians have to agree on is that Jesus is Lord. He has saved us from our sins. He's coming back. And, you know, we must continue to live our lives in light of him. So, you know, no matter, like, if you're, like, a, if you're into that kind of, like, apocalyptic thing, you know, like, studying Revelation, trying to, well, I mean, I know the Lord said that you're not really going to figure it all out because you're not supposed to. And not even the sun knows the day or the time. But um, no matter what little thoughts you have, whether you believe in pre-tribulation or post-tribulation, the point is Jesus is coming. We must live our lives like that. Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, and right. you mentioned yeah. you mentioned Revelation. Revelation is a great example of, of how you are only going to be helped by knowing other parts of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Revelation is chock full of allusions to the Old Testament prophets. Yeah, so there's almost every verse has some kind of language that has been taken from Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Zechariah, and the more that you're familiar with those Old Testament prophets, the, the more likely you'll be able to interpret a book like Revelation yeah. accurately. Yeah, for you gamers, so, it's kind of, yeah, so for you gamers, it's kind of like learning all the pre-skills in the early levels before you hit the boss level and you have to put them all into practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so then a, a third third way to study the Bible inappropriately or to use the language we've already used is a pitfall to avoid is studying the Bible with with no regard for language barriers or the, the nuance of of languages so mm. what I mean by that is you know when when we are reading our English translations mm -hmm. most of us are aware that you know the, the Bible is not written originally written in English, it's written in other languages. Yeah. And a popular thing to do among those who, who want to study the Bible, want to get deeper into the text, is to begin to dabble in the languages. So they'll, they'll do a, what we call a word study mm -hmm. in Hebrew for the Old Testament or Greek for the New Testament. So say you want to you're, you're studying Romans 3 and you come to this word propitiation and you decide well I'm going to study that word and how it's used across the New Testament mm -hmm. so in my view I think the best way to do that is to just look at your English Bible and find every verse that uses the word propitiation and glean as much as you can from that English translation mm -hmm. rather than doing what a lot of people will do which is try to find the Greek word and make make a lot of what a Greek lexicon says about that word hmm. so okay 
some people some people will find you know, so you got propitiation mm-hmm. you find the greek word you locate the greek word and then you look that greek word up in a, a greek lexicon which is that's just a that's just a word for dictionary so you look up in a okay. in a greek dictionary and what's going to happen is just like any english word mm-hmm. a greek word could have a, a wide range of meaning yeah and there's something that that i that i think of as like a biblical language euphoria that people get. They start messing around with uh, biblical languages and all of a sudden they find in this, this Greek dictionary this this crazy definition that they've never thought of before. Mm-hmm. And they'll start assigning that meaning to every place that that word is used in the New Testament. Mm, okay. Or they'll assign all the different definitions to that testament right and and you end up basically violating the the principle that we were talking about a moment ago which is that the context is so important yeah so in my view I, i i would say if you want to use greek and hebrew actually learn greek and hebrew right and are we talking ancient greek and hebrew because i know are we talking about ancient greek and hebrew because you know languages change over time like There's an old English that's not at all like our our modern English, you know, so I'm assuming it must be an ancient form of Greek. Excellent, excellent point. So we're talking about biblical Hebrew, which has some things in common with modern Hebrew. Mm -hmm. But if you if you were to go over to Israel today and learn learn modern Hebrew fluently, Mm -hmm. it would help you somewhat with the the Hebrew Old Testament. But there's going to be some some very significant differences. Right. And same with modern Greek versus what? But the Bible is written in, which is called Koine Greek, which is a, a form of uh, kind of dumbed down Greek that was used a- around the time of Christ. Right, because it was it, the common like language, the, right? The language of commerce. In the yeah. Day, so they made it very simple. Because yeah. the Roman Empire stretched so far, they needed to be able to communicate across many cultures. So it's like they had like a common version of it, so everyone could at least do some uh, econ- economic trade, I suppose. Right. Right. <laughs> so. So if if we think about if we think about just what we know about English, the the, the things that we mean when we, like when you and I are having a conversation, only part of that meaning is conveyed by the actual definition of the words that we're using. Mm-hmm. There's also grammar and syntax mm-hmm. which affect the meaning of, of sentences and conversations, yeah. such that you know the order that we put the words in is significant, and. Um, those kinds of things can't be seen or learned just from a Greek dictionary. So I don't know if you've ever like, bought a piece of furniture that was made in China or somewhere overseas. There's a owner's manual, or maybe it's not a piece of furniture, it's an appliance or something. Yeah. You know, sometimes those, those manuals are very difficult to read. Mm. They're written in English. I mean, they're English words, but they're hard to understand because the person that wrote them essentially wrote them with just a biblical. I mean, uh, an English dictionary. Like they don't understand. Yeah, they it's just not necessarily their fault. They don't understand grammar and syntax, and so they just trade around words. They just gave it its equivalent, and they didn't think about how the grant exactly. the sentence should be structured. Yeah, and I remember yeah. when you and I were talking about this because. Um, I was ta- asking you before um, if th- you had any interest in teaching a class to learn the biblical languages, because that's something I'd really would love to do someday. You know, it's uh, I guess you could say yeah. it's on my bucket list 
to do that. Um, and I remember distinctly, and I never forgot it, you mentioning, like, when I asked, like, how many years would it take to do this sort of thing, uh, like, and how much work that would be a week, you know, homework. And I remember you saying, um, it's one of those things where a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know, because yes. if you only know, like you just said, just the word just straight from a lexicon or whatever you're learning from, and you just applied it directly to that word and did it the rest of the Bible, then yeah, I would, I would, I can definitely see how that can go out of hand. So it's almost, I can almost hear some of you people thinking that's, uh, it's like, that sounds confusing, but you know, it, it's kind of a relief to some people because if they know that, like you said in the beginning, it's better to just, when you're focusing on a particular word in the English translation, and just finding every time that word is used in the English translation, you know, you get more healthy takeaways from it than just trying to learn the specific word of that specific thing and applying it again and again and again. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> I, I would say respect the, the nuances of, of language. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, um, either learn the biblical languages themselves or just study study in English but yeah. it, it's it, there are there are dangerous things that can happen in terms of your interpretation when you start just dabbling in Greek or Hebrew you you'll almost certainly make a mistake and yeah. it's better to just just read it over and over in English I mean you would be far better off yeah, it sounds like playing with fire, the way, the way it's being put. Yeah, I, I think it is. Now, other people would disagree with me. Just to be fair, I'm, I'm sure there are, there, there are people who um, who would say, no, it's totally fine, just be careful. Mm -hmm. um, I could just testify to my own experience when I was a younger man mm -hmm. and had not learned the languages. I started kind of dabbling in this kind of thing in mm -hmm. the fashion that I just mentioned. And I ended up being very certain of a number of wrong interpretations. Mm. And that would have been bad enough if that had been just study for my own personal use. But I was studying and then teaching these things. Mm. And, uh, you know, I wish I could gather all of those people who heard me teach, gather them into a room and say, you know, I, I had a false sense of certainty about what these things meant mm -hmm. because I thought I I knew enough about these languages to speak confidently about them. And so I was wrong about this, I was wrong about this, I was wrong about this. And then I wish I could ask those people to forgive me. But um, mm. that's uh, that's impossible in this life because I can't hunt them all down. Right, right. Yeah. Well, maybe by the Lord's Holy Spirit, he can lead them to the fixes. And, of course, I know for, sure, for a fact yeah. that uh, in the end he will make all things new. And no matter how we mess up, you know, he's continually to make us more like him until um, we um, enjoy that fellowship with him without the bar of sin in between. So, yeah. I, yeah. and well, at least um, I would say that also as a side note, you know, thank you for sharing that because even though that was a, a horrible mistake in your past, it's good mm -hmm. for us to hear it now so that those of us who are listening uh, know to be aware of that mistake and that we don't have to fall into that because you've already seen it. So we thank you yeah. very much for sharing that very, very much. Certainly. Yeah. yeah for um, sure. Well, I think we're starting to get a uh, wind down with the time on this episode. And I mean, I gladly would continue talking with you about these things for probably days. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
But I, I would like to propose uh, one last um, special thing about how to not study the scriptures. And, and that is to do not enter the scriptures without a saving relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit within you. Because Jesus has said many times, like, I go away so that the Spirit can come to you, and the Spirit will lead you into truth. And um, i got to tell you, Pastor Greg, when I was going in the past records of your sermons, uh, one of them, and I've listened to it at least three, four times now, something that you said, and this is very true, is that the importance of having the Holy Spirit within us to guide us through the Word and guide us through life is significantly better for us than the physical presence of Jesus. You know, and it's yeah. is like I never heard it put that way before, but it's very true because, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if the Bible was written by the Holy God, he is the great author who used all these uh, men that he influenced to pen the scriptures. I mean, written over uh, across the span of uh, 2000 years, over 40 authors, three languages. And yet it's still a consistent narrative and no point does it contradict. And it is profitable in learning and rebuking and living in application every part of our lives and you guys know and I know and Pastor Greg knows that it's also influential in our creativity but this creativity that we're trying to achieve here you know that's separate from the world that's uh, different from everyone else and is fueled by the word that cannot happen if you do not have the spirit of truth that cannot happen and the spirit of truth cannot come to you if you do not know the Lord and the Lord wants to know you as one of his children, his adopted children. So you've heard me mention before, Jesus Christ, we, we are lost in our sin. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, we can't, we can't do enough good works in this life to make us right with the Lord. But praise God that he sent his son, his one and only son, to die for us, to pay for that sin, and not just to make us saved, but he also clothes us in righteousness so we can have that fellowship and he can lead us into truth. And this isn't just about being better than the other person in our art or in our creativity or in our hobby. It's about using our hobby to grow closer with the Savior, the one who gave it to us. So, That's fantastic. Yeah, you, you, when you say you know it's better for it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit in us than Jesus with us. That that's that's not my opinion. That's Jesus talking in, in John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Yeah. You know, he says it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit will come to you, which is a hard thing to imagine. You know, it's a hard thing to imagine that we would, yeah. it we just, would be better off with the Spirit than with Jesus right beside us, but that, that, is, that is straight from his mouth. Yeah, it gives me so, shivers. Um, <laughs> it's like, ooh, no, I was just commenting. It just gives me shivers. It's like, oh yeah, my gosh, that's yeah. just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, thank you guys for listening, and I hope that listening to from uh, Pastor Greg and myself talking about this encourages you to get further into your word, not just for your creativity, but for your lives and for preparation for a better future, because this life isn't all there is. This is just the stepping stone to an eternity with our Savior and being in his presence forever and ever, which is what we were all meant for. So uh, thank you again, Pastor Greg, for being so willing to come on the show, and I just I, I was just tickled pink when you said yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here. So thanks for the opportunity and the invitation. Yeah. And if you guys have not watched yet the sermon that I put up that he gave on pressing on to maturity, it is still there on flyingfaith.org. Please feel free to go there and listen to that. It was fantastic. And it goes further along with what we were just talking about today. And, hey, if you ever want to hear more from Pastor Greg, 
and the amazing uh, other teaching pastors that we have on uh, at our church. Because um, you know what, I do want to have more uh, pastors on here. You know, Pastor Pastor John Bodkin, I'd like to have him on. I'd like to have Pastor Jason uh, Odell on here. So, but anyway, if you guys want to hear more from them and uh, more teaching from them, go to ProvidenceBibleFellowship.com. Was it .com or .org? I can't remember. It's .com. .com. Okay, I have it. <laughs> it's like, my blog is org. Your, your website's com. <laughs> it's like, all right, got it. Um, anyway, well, thank you, everyone, and we will see you next time. Thanks again for joining me here on Flying Faith Talks. And hey, if you really like this podcast and you'd like to learn more about me or the website, subscribe to flyingfaith.org and follow Flying Faith on Facebook, MeWe, Instagram, and Pinterest. And hey, subscribers receive exclusive content like updates on the website, updates on my books, sneak peeks, chances for prizes, and the opportunity to connect with me. Anyway, that's all for today. Thanks, guys, and come back soon.